0: to the In Vino Fabulum podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Patrice. We're your co hosts with the most for the In Vino Fabulum, that means, in wine story.
1: We think there are a number of tales to be shared about women and wine. This is a space to offer a narrative and chat about both.
0: All right, so a few vignettes ago, we had a QA involving a book that I read, The Tribe of Mentors by Timothy Ferris. And it was fun. We liked the Q&A. Did we not, Patrice?
1: We loved the Q&A so much that we were doing Q&A part two.
0: That's right. Part two is a few more questions that was asked, and we'll answer them and post them in the show notes for you to check them out and perhaps respond on your own. So this is a book about asking questions to mentors or important people in this author's life. So we're just going to answer them and reflect on things we've learned. And so one of the questions that was asked was, How has failure or parent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favorite failure of yours?
1: So as I was reflecting on this question, um, the thing that comes to mind honestly is parenting. I think as a parent we fail almost every day. And the way that I think that has set me up for later success was – you know, with kids, you, you fail, but you, you know, you have to keep going and move forward. But also it taught me to really be vulnerable and to, if I failed to be, um, vulnerable and transparent with my kids and to say, you know, um, I shouldn't have yelled at you. I was tired. I was stressed, but also to reflect on myself and think, you know, kind of that, you know, what did I expect to happen? What actually happened? What might I do differently? And I, I'm trying to remember, this might've actually also been in a teaching and higher ed podcast, but I recently heard, um, the phrase that, you know, um, we talk a lot about being resilient and being strong, but that it's actually much easier to be strong than to be vulnerable. And so I think for me, um, failure has taught me how to be vulnerable, which has really set me up for later success.
0: Yeah. No, I have so many failures. I don't know what my favorite one is. I can think about failures in um, not winning something on a sport team or swim meets when I was younger to not getting uh, the position I wanted at a job or having to wait. So I don't know if I have a favorite failure. Like there's lots of things I feel at. I get rejection from an article now of research. But What I have learned from each one of those things that I did not get is um, you have to work harder or you have to learn from where you made a mistake and improve it. So I think recently I could think about uh, rejected journal articles and I'm fine with that because what comes from the feedback and so I think the best kind of failure is feedback with input and so if you didn't get a position at a job... Do you ask for feedback? And I do all the time. Or if you didn't um, get into that journal and there wasn't much feedback, do you follow up with the editor? I do. And so I think it, it's recognizing that uh, failure with inputs and critical feedback and honest feedback is really helpful. And if you can take that and not take it personally, but take it as a learning opportunity, I think that probably learns most of the most valuable things Um, from those processes of failure and not getting what I wanted by getting the feedback and whether it's improving or fixing or editing or retooling and thinking about my approach to something that I probably learned the most about. So yeah, I I don't know if I have a favorite because there's so many of them, but I'd say um, taking what I've learned from that and direct feedback and thinking about how I can improve and correct that is very uh, rewarding to me because I think it gives you a next bar or a next goal to aim towards if you didn't reach the first one. So, hey, things happen for a reason is what I say. So fail, fail hard, fail often. It's good for you.
1: Right. Uh, and the other thing I would just add is, which I think we don't do enough of, but the importance of sharing our failures. Uh, I mean, for two reasons. One is other people can learn. I mean, if we think about, like, research studies – Typically, the only studies that get published are the ones that are successful, but people could really learn if um, we were able to you know, publish failures, things that, things that didn't work. But I think it also, to your point, encourages other people to not feel badly about failing and instead to uh, embrace it.
0: Yeah. Like you get rejected. Big deal. Some of the best articles I have been rejected three to five times and, and you retool and you fit it to the right spot and you, um, figure out if it's a better fit somewhere else. And it, it's actually a better piece when you finish up with it. Yeah.
1: Okay. So on to our next question. Um, What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? For example, money, time, energy, anything else?
0: Yeah, so there's probably been a few, but one that I can recently think about has been purchasing um, a really nice duvet, or as they say in Australia, a duna, and purchasing two of them. So I have a partner I sleep with. And we went over to Iceland and the Scandinavian way for sleep in Norway and Denmark and Iceland and Sweden is to have like a double or king bed with two single twin duvets. So you each have your own blanket, like not a top sheet that we have, but just a bottom sheet and two duvets. And so I've invested in a really nice one. And I'm quite proud of it because we both found that we sleep better. And two duvets means our temperature's controlled, no one's fighting over a sheet. And I think one of the best investments is the cost of it, sure, was a little bit, but it wasn't the money. It's the investment in sleep because I think I more as I get older, um, I think the quality of sleep really means something. And so we both can attest to some of the best sleep we had on vacation that we Mm -hmm. wanted to bring back to our own house. And so investing in um, your sleep domain is really important. So that was the most recent one. And thinking about um, tracking my sleep and that being really important has been investment. So quality of sleep is where I'm at these days.
1: So I would love for you to share a link to what that is that you purchased.
0: Yeah, I will. uh, It's the Brookline duvets. It's the one, the best ones in North America. There's some other ones in Europe you can get. Uh, I'll put a note to it. And it's funny. There was an article I think I just read on um, sleep is the new commodity or the the quality of sleep. Like people are really investing in different things around their sleep these days, whether it's a mattress or a pillow or something else. Um, But yeah, I'll put a link to that as well. How about you?
1: So I would say that the most worthwhile investment, like the first thing that I, I think of is my PhD. Um, and, you know, the, uh, it, there was a lot of sacrifice involved as far as family time and, uh, you know, my um, social life, my, you know, ability to do fun things because, of course, you know, the, the focus is on finishing. Um but I, I think that, you know, on a personal level, I grew significantly through the process of getting my PhD, but it's also, I mean, there's no question that, um, as I said to somebody, I mean, just, you know, it, it opens a lot of doors and it, um, the, the change, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was the ability to just dig really into research that mattered to me, right? Like if you think to your undergraduate degree, how, you know, it's very course specific. So I feel like, um, although, you know, the PhD was a, you know, a, mon- a significant monetary and time investment, I, you know, I don't think that I would be where I am today if I had not if I had not done that. And I also, you know, when I look at my kids, I think that, you know, watching me go through that process had a, had a big impact on them, you know, and how they both view education, investment in their education and their professional life.
0: Cool. All right. Next question is what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love?
1: So I don't know how unusual or absurd this is, but it's something that just comes up a lot. And that is that, you know, one of my favorite meals is a salad. And so my, my kids always comment that, 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 you know, that's a little bit unusual, but given the choice of different meals, I would frequently select having a salad. Um, but you know, not just like a bunch of greens, you know, I like to, you know, add a few interesting things to it, but That is something that I love, and I'm not sure if it's unusual or not. You crave salad. Is there a favorite salad you like? Um, so I'm recently a big fan of kale. That's Mm -hmm. my favorite right now. But um, usually involves goat cheese, goat cheese as well. You know, along with some other accoutrements. Cool.
0: Um, A habit of mine. I think I have a learning habit that I can't break. And so, um, a couple things that I've picked up are trying things that I don't know how to do really well and seeing if I could master them by self self teaching. So that's kind of, I'll give you two examples. Um, recently in the last couple of years, a friend gifted me, thank you, Joyce, a uh, cat's pajama and Z a ukulele after staying with me in I kind of dabbled with guitar. I don't read music, but I can read chords and kind of figure it out. And I like to tool around and figure out how to do things on my own. So, um, I learned how to play ukulele and obviously picked only nineties, um, alternative music and eighties dance music to learn songs to like take me on as an example, uh, Creep by Radiohead, songs like that. So, um, I will find something that I don't know how to do and I really like to learn and practice it. And um, so I've done that with like house projects, like building things in a house DIY to I'm working on my Duolingo in Spanish right now. Um, So I just really like to DIY learn. I think that's my problem. Um, Yeah. That's, I don't know if that's unusual, but I just like to try things that I don't think I can do and teach myself like incrementally how to do them um so usually it's like skills or like ta- like kind of um sometimes it's online stuff but mainly it's i probably more tactile things i want to be better at and try things at and so maybe it's my reason of my go-to now that i'm online more teaching and working so
1: yeah okay and what are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise
0: I don't know if it's bad, but I hear this a lot because, um, so I'm a faculty member and I'm not on the tenure track. And I hear from a lot of my colleagues, not all, some of them have changed their tune recently is um, you should be on the tenure track or why aren't you on the tenure track? Because I'm doing research and I'm doing course development and things that a quote unquote tenure track faculty would do. So I'm not an assistant professor or an associate professor. And I made that choice for different reasons and I actually am okay with that. Um, and uh, someone said, you're just this or like, are you like an adjunct instructor? And I said, no, I'm a faculty. I just, I'm not on that track. So I think it's a bad recommendation in my um, area of expertise because I'm not sure how long tenure will be around. And, I also really like what I'm doing, both creatively for work, for teaching, uh, for learning, for mentoring my students and research. So I don't know if uh, everyone going on the tenure track is the way to go anymore in higher ed, especially as a faculty, because I think there's some meets, avenues and hybrid positions that are out there that i might be more interested in these days but i hear that a lot if you're a faculty member you should be on the tenure track or when are you going to get on that so or that's what you should be striving for
1: all right so the thing that i was thinking about was conferences and i can remember years ago a colleague who said to me you know i I don't know why people go to so many conferences. You know, I'm not going to any conferences this year. I'm going to focus on my writing and my publishing because kind of, you know, to what you were talking about, nobody cares about presentations. You know, they care about publications um, and things. I know you and I have had this discussion. And I was going to say, did
0: I give you this advice? Do you tell me this is bad?
1: No, 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 this was somebody else. Um, But you know, there's been a lot of, you know, discussions around, like, what do I actually get out of the conference, and we should just have, like, our own small conferences, or people write articles saying, you know, I'm going to stop going to academic conferences, but it's an interest, you know, like, it's interesting, because on the one hand, I think there's no question that, like, I would not have met you if I didn't go to a conference, Mm -hmm. Right. So it definitely increases your personal learning network, you know, uh, in in ways beyond, you know, interacting on social media. But you can also get to the point where, you know, you're going to so many conferences, it makes it difficult to get work done. So, you know, from that standpoint, I, I'm not sure if it's the best or worst advice that somebody has given me to, <laughs> to not you know, to not go to any conferences, so much as I think it really is about, um, you know, like, like what are your goals? What are you looking to accomplish? And that, you know, being able to say it's okay to take a step back, that there are some things that I just need to take some focused time to work at to meet my goals, which is really what it's, right? Um, you know, we talked about that. Um, you know, what specifically are your goals? How are you defining success?
0: Yeah, that was in part one of this. So Tribe of mm-hmm. Mentors, part one, uh, episode 13. What I was going to say, like I think um, we've talked about this with, I think Franz talked about the value of networking. And mm-hmm. I think it really depends on where you are in your career and what you want to be doing and where you're going to conferences. And if it's not um, – and, and maybe it's branching out to a different area or industry that's doing like things that you can learn from. I think that was something I picked up from talking with France. I remember that. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or you've lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? Or what questions do you ask yourself, Patrice?
1: Uh, so one question that I ask myself is, you know, when when I'm feeling overwhelmed, and I just have like more things than I can possibly, you know, accomplish in a single day. I try to take a step back and say, you know, what absolutely has to be done today? You know, what things that if I don't do today, the world's going to end or bad things are going to happen. And, you know, what are those things that, you know, it would be great if I could do them today, but if I get to to them tomorrow or even the next day, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. And in combination with that, one of the things that I've been doing for, I guess about a year and a half ish now is yoga. And I've really found that if I I'm feeling overwhelmed or, you know, unfocused that, going to a yoga class, or if I can't get to a yoga class, just doing, you know, just doing some sun salutations at home really, um, really helps me focus in a way that before I started doing it, I would have mocked somebody who told me that.
0: (laughs) That's great. Um, like you, I probably go and, um, ask what's on my list is my question. And so I am a big list maker and I always have been and I try to be more realistic with my list these days so I go to two spots. Um, I have a digital list, I use Todoist and I create little projects and I dedicate what's going on each day. I also have a paper version and I think think it was Katie Linder who mentioned it, um, the Get to Work book. Um, That book itself is like a planner but it's a planner for those who make lists and you're planning and crossing things off and Um, I'll go to one of those two things and just to make sure I'm refocused. And chances are, if I'm unfocused on one thing, there's something on the list I can shift to. So I would probably take a break and do something else because things that I like to do on my list are things I like to do. So if I'm. Stuck at a dull moment of coding data, I might flip over and do a reading of X book or a few articles for a little bit, just to mix it up. So I would task with switch with what's on my list, and usually I'll find something else. Um, I call it productive procrastination. I'll just switch to something else on my list. Um, but if I can't do any work, like you said, I take a break and I go for a walk and I bring my pup out for a walk or I go for a run with him on a trail and that usually brings it back to, I call a new day when you can go out, um, have a sweat, shower, and it's like you start a new segment of your day. So that's something I probably do.
1: Right. Um, and yeah, I I agree, like running is mm-hmm. a great way to kind of like reflect and think through some things and 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 refocus and prioritize
0: yeah and since it's hot where I live right now I'm doing some more walking so walking or hiking or doing something that brings you outside is is always good I think because you Mm -hmm. just get a different perspective than your office or where you are so
1: yeah yep I agree cool all right I enjoyed that round of questions
0: tribe of mentors you've done your good work and we'll probably be back with another q a of something else in the future because we like this rapid fire question and giving some ideas and thoughts to y'all mm-hmm.
1: until next time this podcast wants to continue the conversation with women about stories and wine so we would love to hear you tell us what voices ideas questions and random wine facts you hope we'll chat about in a future episode
0: Find us on Twitter at or on the hashtag #InVinoFab, and we'll always welcome love or messages by email at InVinoFabulum at gmail
1: To stay tuned to for the next episode, please subscribe to the In Vino Fab podcast via Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And remember, in wine there is a story. In Vino fabulum.